decidedly more difficult, right? There is a method to that madness, right? So remember your analysis piece, it asked you a binary question, which is real easy. And you probably won't get any of those ever again. It was set up to be easy. It was a redeemable, not redeemable, a yes or a no. That's easy stuff, right? But unfortunately, that's like junior high stuff, right? And all of the prompts that you receive from here on out are going to ask you to either take a stance on a really nuanced issue or cover both sides of the stance in an analytical way. And all of that is very difficult, right? So if you're really great at arguing and you're really great at debating, that is well and good and wonderful for you. However, that's not what we're doing here anymore, right? That, the Rochester one was just a dip in, a toe dip in the water of what you're going to be asked to do on these big exams, but you're not going to see a prompt that's that simple ever again, right? That's just to get your cute little toe in the door. But for this one, there wasn't a yes or no, right? There was a, what is your take on this concept? Which is a lot harder to write a thesis for, and it's a lot harder to defend kind of a nuanced take on this concept. But that's what you're going to be asked to do. So AP and IB both, they have different language for it, which is super annoying for me as I try to like make rubrics that help you understand both requirements. But what they're asking for, the AP word, they just love the word complexity. Complexity. I think it's nonsense. I think it's some hot nonsense because they think that this word complexity just kind of like covers everything and then they don't explain it and it's stupid. But anyway, um, the IB talks about an in-depth, nuanced, complex analysis. But really what they're saying is, for any issue, there's two sides of a coin, right? And if you can talk about a nuanced, both sides of that coin in a nuanced way, that's sophisticated writing, right? Junior high was back where you're like, I think zoos are bad, and then you write about how bad zoos are, right? But that's not what we're doing here. We're talking about the nuanced relationship of zoos with its communities, surrounding communities, and the animals within. Like, it's a whole other step, right? So that's what we're going to try to get at. But the binary question that I asked you last time, you did a great job with for the most part. I think only two people didn't get the thesis point. So that, that's why I'm trying to help you just, just baby step it along, right? So this is the next step in the baby step, trying to find and argue a thesis that's not binary, right? So let's take a look at this. The first thing I need you to do, though, is keep in mind that the requirements for a synthesis essay are pretty strict in terms of the source material. So before you read anything in this essay, you've got to check uh, two things, yes? So you should have six highlighters out, six highlighters. And if you don't have highlighters, get some. And number two, if you don't have highlighters today, you can borrow mine, but just don't steal them. Yeah? Six highlighters. I've thought so much about tights since our last conversation, Brooklyn. I've just thought so much about tights since our last conversation. Yes? Yeah. Any epiphanies? I don't know. Nothing really. Yeah. I just feel like it's important to, for my daughter to be able to embrace this. This. Oh, yeah. If she needs help along I'm going to be Don't be surprised if I do hit you up on that. Because, <coughs> you know. Anyway. Ah, oh, my daughter. Okay. 
So first thing we're looking for is, remember from the assignment descriptions, the videos that we watched, how many sources out of the six that are given, no more talkies, how many sources out of the six that are given must you reference clearly and explicitly in your essay? Yes. Three. That's the answer. So here's what you need to do. Before you read anything, the directions clearly stated that you needed to source three, the video and quiz thing that I asked you to do before it all made sure that you knew that you needed to reference three, right? So what I need you to do is you need to go through and don't read it yet. I just need you to skim for a citation of at least three of the six sources. They can be referred to by source A, source B, source C. They can be referred to by the title. And never again are you going to have a synthesis prompt where all of the sources are written by the same person. So you could reference them by the author, but I still think it's cleaner and more concise to reference them by source A, source B, source C, parenthetically or in parentheses at the end of the sentence in which you reference that piece of evidence. So it, with your highlighter, just reference the citation. Don't reference the piece of evidence. With your first color of highlighter, just reference the citation, whether it's in parentheses or whether it's narratively, which is a fancy way for saying in the sentence. Yes? Do you want us to highlight? Um, Not the evidence itself, just the citation. No, what if they did it the same source different times? That's fine, yeah. I just want you to be able to get uh, like a zoom out perspective of what sources they did reference and how many they referenced. That's going to be important. So after our peer review in class last time, I did have a couple people have to come to me and ask me what the feedback meant. So I just want to review with you the expectations for peer review, which means if you are ever highlighting, it should always be accompanied by commentary or feedback in written form. So if you're highlighting, draw a little line from that highlight and write a little note. Whether it's you saying, oh, this is the first source, this is the second source, this is the third source, whatever that is, you should never be highlighting without an accompanying piece of commentary. Whether it's constructive, um, saying that you don't think it was effective, or giving an idea of how to make it effective, or saying that you thought it was done well. So now that you've highlighted those source references, this is very confusing to understand. Okay, so we're going to separate these two, but just know that it might hurt your brain a teensy. It definitely hurt the last class's brain a teensy. So they need to have referenced a minimum of three sources, but they could reference more. And they could reference, of those three, they could reference some more than once if they wanted. But they have to reference a minimum of four sources. If they didn't do that, no matter how well they did on the evidence and commentary, it's still a two or a one, right? That's rule number one. So. Assess whether or not they referenced at least three sources first. If it helps, you can like on the front page highlight which ones they referenced or whatever. Yes? It was, did you say three sources or four sources? So it's, we'll get there in a second. This is why it's so just checking that they referenced a minimum of three different sources. It doesn't matter how many times they did so but a minimum of three different sources. Just check. If they did, they're, sh they're gunning for a three or a four, but don't give them a grade yet because we have more things to look at for that 
ref that evidence row, that rubric row. So, but if they didn't reference at least three sources, no matter how well they did, they can only get a two or a one in the evidence rubric row, and that's important. The second thing is, now this is where it gets confusing. On this, take out your cute little green, uh, what's this called, outline, and tell me how many pieces of evidence do they need in total? Not relative to how many sources they referenced, but how many minimum pieces of evidence should they have examined? Hold it up on your cute fingies. Good. So this is where it gets frustrating and confusing, right? They need to have referenced a minimum of three different sources. However, among those three, they need to have referenced at least four different pieces of evidence. They could have referenced four different sources or more. If they referenced more than three sources, that's great, but nobody's going to give them a prize for that, right? They should only do that if they really feel like the four separate sources spoke well for their argument, right? So they should have four pieces of evidence. So now get your second color of highlighter out and near, hopefully it's near, your citations. Highlight the actual evidence they used, whether it's direct uh, words or a line from the text, but it shouldn't be long. Highlight the, evi the, piece of, the actual piece of evidence. And it's okay if they paraphrase something from the text, but if you have the text right in front of you, why not just pull three to five words? instead of trying to paraphrase. So as you're highlighting this evidence, ask yourself, before you read their commentary on the evidence, right, ask yourself, does this evidence that I'm highlighting support their overall claim? So we're going to go take a look at a claim in a second. So just highlight their evidence and try to get an idea before you read their claim. With this evidence, what could their claim possibly be, right? What we're doing right now is called reverse outlining. And it really helps you, and this is what graders do, um, keep, get an idea of how well the through line is maintained from their thesis to their, through their evidence and to their conclusion. So take a look at their evidence. Think what could their claim or their thesis for this possibly be? After you've highlighted all the evidence, just look up so I know you're ready to move on. So keep in mind that all of this has to connect. They couldn't just poop out a random piece of evidence and just like haphazardly connect it to the thesis, right? That wasn't the point. The point is to be really deliberate about that. And that's how we develop a line of reasoning, right? It's like we tie a little cute little bow of a string around that thesis and then we sew it really methodically throughout the entire essay and then finish it off in the conclusion. That's how I like to think of a line of reasoning, okay? So now what I want you to do before you read their introduction, I want you to listen to what the actual question was because the thing about these prompts is they'll give you contextual information up at the top, but sometimes people use it to confuse themselves, right? So what was actually asked, what the question that they were asked to answer was this, okay? Um, write an essay that synthesizes material from at least three of the sources and develops your position so here's the actual prompt develops your position on how shared beliefs, 
So shared beliefs is our main topic, right? Now, before I even read the rest, you need to know that you're making a commentary on shared beliefs. That's our main topic, right? Now it's gonna ask us to tell us how they want us to comment on shared beliefs. And it says um, on how shared beliefs affect the ways in which individuals respond to the unknown and unexplained, right? So their question has to be primarily, their thesis has to be primarily about the concept of shared beliefs is the universal concept, right? And that's from shared religious beliefs to shared folkloric beliefs to shared um, like societal beliefs right? So those shared beliefs, how do those shared beliefs affect the way people respond to the unknown and the unexplained, to gothic things, right? So now take a look at their introduction and tell me, first of all, get your third color out and highlight what you think their thesis is, and then say, does this thesis talk about shared beliefs primarily, and then does it answer the question, how do shared beliefs affect the ways in which individuals respond? So if their thesis doesn't answer that question, it's a problem, number one. It doesn't respond to the prompt. And number two, because this question is so much harder than the last one you did, a lot of people last time did not have a defensible thesis. So I wanna remind you what a defensible thesis is. A defensible thesis means they've made a statement about shared beliefs that I could argue with, right? So if you wanna say a, a, a thesis is not that shared beliefs are important to society. No one can debate that. That is a hard and fast fact, right? The ways in which they're important, now that's a thesis, right? No one can debate that shared beliefs have been around since the beginning of time. Don't ever do a thesis like that that involves the beginning of time, right? So that's not a thesis, right? That's not a claim. You're just saying facts and stuff. A thesis sounds like you could say that shared religious beliefs have been the instigators for all major conflicts across the entire world, that they're dangerous, right? You could also say that shared beliefs are the through line, the unity that brings people together in cultures, countries, mindsets, right? So you have to take a stance on their shared beliefs and say how they indicate one way or the other. And it could be that you take a stance that's not your own personal opinion, that's okay. Oftentimes if you look at the sources, and these sources specifically are, are pretty much 80% talking about the dangers of shared beliefs and like where, how they can lead to bad things. I don't personally believe that to be wholeheartedly true, but I'm gonna argue that because I know that's gonna be my best essay. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't have to be your own opinion. You just argue what's strongest with the sources that are given to you, with the material that you think is clearest for you, right? So anyway, if they didn't take a stance in that thesis, they cannot have the thesis point. But it's okay if they didn't, about half the people in the last class didn't do it either, because this is hard and we're learning, right? So it's not something to beat yourself up about or feel bad that you're not marking it down. Yes, dear? In response to the prompt, that's a problem. So if they, if, they, if they took a stance, but it was like not even answering the question that was asked, they can't have the thesis point for that either, okay? So defensible thesis needs to, number one, answer the prompt. Number two, be a clear claim that could be argued. So if they did one of those two things, they can have a, a two, right? 
But if they did neither of those two things, it's a one for sure. So give them a grade on their thesis response. And while you're at it on that rubric, um, write your name on it so I know who peer reviewed that. But this is harder stuff, right? You can sense that things are getting slightly more difficult as we move along. Yes, good. Yay. Nope, just use the, the, peer grade, the first peer grading one is fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter which one. But to be fair, this prompt was hard to answer. <laughs> so don't feel bad if you didn't get it. But when you revise it, because obviously your next assignment is going to be to revise this puppy, right? You're going to make sure that thesis is gorgeous. You're going to listen to this recording, and it's going to help you remember what you were supposed to do. Hi there, all of you who are listening to this as you revise it. Right? That's for you guys. Yeah, okay. Um, so next, the most, after that thesis point, if you can remember from the video that we watched, after that thesis point, what's the most important thing you can do points-wise on an essay like this? What's the most important thing? After getting that thesis point, because if you don't get that thesis point, chances are you're going to not going to pass, right? But after the thesis point, what's the most important thing that you can do on these essays? I'm troubled by the paucity of answers at this time. Yes? Yeah, so, the so in order, the most important things you can do are thesis, have good evidence that supports that thesis, and then comment the crap out of that evidence. Right? And the way that we do that and the way that I teach that, and to be honest with you, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I also am. I, had, I have this friend who is a grader for IB, right? And she grades the HLSA. She also is a trained grader for AP, right? And so she came in and read some of our HLSAs from last year. And she was like, whatever you are doing, they are incredible at this. So all I'm saying is, this little formula that I'm giving you, it may feel formulaic in your heart and soul, but follow it. I know how to get you these points, okay? Just trust me. It's gonna feel formulaic, it just is. But when you're a genius and you're in grad school, you can break this formula and you will tip your hat to me metaphorically wherever you are in the world and you'll think, thank you Mrs. Hernandez for the education. I'm gonna move on from that now, but not until college. I also wanna read to you this letter that I just received two days ago. Um, I tell you that you're going to email me and you're like, mm, but you will, you'll send one of these. It just will happen because you'll see it and it's a thing. You just, just trust me. Okay. I know what I'm doing. Okay. I'm sending an email because IB English is superior and has made me a better student. There you go. LOL. Why LOL? Well, she did put a comma before it. So I'm glad with that, but I still understand the LOL part, right? And then she said, I miss your class a lot, and I'm so thankful for it. I, have to, I don't like the use of a lot, but it's not a formal situation. So we're going to, okay. I won't really do that when you email me. I won't. Maybe a little. I have taken many things from Ivy English into college, and I must say thank you so much for pushing us and making us incredible students, blah, blah, blah. I watch videos in my sociology class. Do you see how she is? connecting what she learned in this class to her other classes. Oh, okay. Sociology class. I've lost my place because I just really wanted to say that. I constantly think of your class. I told you you will and you will. Constantly think of your class and the videos we had to analyze. I thought of you in your class while I watched a particular movie scene from the movie Race. I was sitting here thinking of how great this would be to analyze. I wanted to share it with you so your students this year could look at it. 
How cute, like contributing to the next generation. Um, blah, 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 I just thought I'd share it with you and let you know that University of Utah did accept my IB credit because I got all weird in the background with the IB and University of Utah. And it's all fine now, but I did some crusading and I'm not sorry about it. I did, a actually I did a lot. Uh, never mind, nope, I'm not gonna say anymore. But just to know, I, I, I can get real gangster when I have to is all I'm saying. Um, but see, is all I'm saying, See? You know what I mean? What did you say? I want to know what you were whispering. I'm desperate to know. I'm desperate to know. Just tell me. Just tell me. I asked if you cut a guy's fingers off. I haven't done it yet, but I have definitely fantasized about it just so often. You know? There's a lot of things that I just would love to do that I've never done. You know what I mean? Don't we all? You know what I mean? All I'm saying here is, this is, my, my point in reading that is that you need to understand that it's going to feel formulaic, it's going to feel rigid, and it's going to feel like I'm, it's oppressive, what I'm asking you to do. But I'm telling you, going through this formula is going to help you justify your evidence in a way that's going to get you this college credit. And to be honest with you, the college credit is just a teensy little drop in the pool of your adulthood where you're going to learn how to be an awesome human, and the things that I'm teaching you are going to teach you how to do that, and to always get your way too, which I think is important as well. So here's the thing. With your evidence, you must sandwich your evidence. So take out that cute little evidence sandwich paper. It's either like yellow or goldenrod. These are like extra copies from years past that I just tried to save paper. And it's futile for me to try to save paper because I just murder trees all the time. Yes? Right? Who was it? Andy. Oh, he was so excited to sub you guys. Like, he was texting me. <laughs> he did? He seemed excited when he was texting it. Oh. Oh. Oh, Andy. I freaking. Mm. He took, when I was teaching English 11 and I was teaching Gatsby, he came in to get some stuff that I'd made. <laughs> And it was the part in Gatsby where Gatsby says to Tom, I know your wife. And I was like, huh? Spoilers. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but no, so it was the part where Gatsby says to Tom, I know your wife. And I said, oh, there's several connotations to the word no. There's like no, and then there's like no, right? Like the biblical, like I know your wife. Like I know, know your wife. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the biblical. And so he was in here when I was telling my English 11 class that, right? <laughs> And I was like, Handy, can you talk to us about the differences and connotations to, to the word no? And he goes, it means they had sex. And then he just walked right out the door. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> it's cute. Anyway, I love Handy. He's a good soul. Anyway, I know, but then he just left. It was like crop dusting, but with words. Do you know what I mean? Right? Right? You know, you get it. I am proud of that metaphor. Okay. Actually, a simile because I use like, but whatever. Okay, so here's the thing. I need you to really internalize this because, oh my gosh, are you going to have to do it on the HLSA, which starts next week. Like, you're going to have to do it till you just can't do it anymore, right? So we have our evidence sandwich or a quote sandwich. But for literary purposes, for our writing purposes, when I say evidence, I mean a quote from the text or an event or a paraphrase from the text. That's your evidence, right? So it's extremely important, and I'm going to teach this a thousand times because maybe the fifth time that I talk to you about this, you're going to get it, and that's okay, right? 
So your actual evidence and the citation for that evidence are the meat of what the evidence sandwich is, but they're not the most important parts. Like nobody wants a slab of grilled chicken breast. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody just wants like grilled chicken. You're like, actually, <laughs> for the most part, okay, let's do lunch meat, like cold grayish lunch meat, right? Like it's right there in the middle, but nobody wants that alone, right? And most definitely, if you use just the evidence alone and you've plopped it in at the beginning of a sentence and you just expect it to speak for itself, you're not gonna pass this essay and you dumb, right? We can't do that anymore, right? Not only must you integrate that evidence into the ideas that you've previously set up, but you must integrate that evidence into your own sentences because it signifies to the reader that you know how to direct that evidence and incorporate it into your own writing and not the other way around. Does that make sense? So. The evidence itself needs to go into a sentence that has already started. Never ever should your evidence begin a sentence. And I know that sounds formulaic, but it's important to signify that you, you are directing and incorporating the evidence. It's not leading you, you're leading it. So again, if the evidence is ahead, you are the neck that directs that evidence. And part of the way you do that is through the sandwich and through incorporating it into an already existing sentence. And the easiest way to do that is where you say, I know that I need to have an introductory phrase before said evidence, right? Most of the time that's followed by a comma. Y'all don't know commas, we'll get to it. So introductory phrase, comma, what they said, and then cite it. Yeah, and we'll talk about the punctuation there because it was bad, it was bad. It's okay, I, I mean, you're gonna learn, it's fine. I'm gonna teach you, it's fine. I didn't cry tears over it when I read it, right? So here's the thing. That's just the baseline. The baseline is that you used evidence. That evidence has to be good, right? But you also have to contextualize and introduce that evidence to the point where it feels like it flows into the evidence. That should never just be like Rochester said, right? You need to say when Rochester said it, in what situation he said it in, and you could even hint that Bronte is introducing this context in which Rochester said it for a purpose, then give the evidence, right? So that's all the context. So this top bun and the meat, go to your rubric page, the top bun and the meat, you introducing it and incorporating it into a sentence and citing it, that's all what we're asking for for the evidence row on your rubric. Also with the evidence row on your rubric is that the evidence actually pertains to the claim that you're making or to your thesis. So all of those things go into that rubric grading row. So before you give them a grade on this evidence part, we've looked at the citation, we've looked at the evidence itself, what are we missing before we can give them a grade for this evidence? What do we still need to look at it? Look at. Well, we're gonna talk about commentary, but you can see that's its own rubric row. So what do we still need to look at in terms of integrating that evidence specifically? We already looked at the citation. We already looked at the evidence. We need to go look at the top one and see how they introduce the evidence before we even look at the commentary. Because that is still part of how you're handling evidence, how you're managing it, right? So before their piece of evidence, I want you to look at what came before it. Did they give context for that evidence? And in this case, you might not have read, like when you read your pieces for the actual test, you might not have listened to the whole podcast. It might be an excerpt. So I'm not looking con for context for the rest of the podcast episode. I'm talking about context that can just be found with the selected text that's there. Context and an introductory phrase. 
You can say Mankey stated, Mankey asserts that, source B asserts that. Real simple formulaic stuff. So in your, I believe we're on our fifth color now, yes? In your fourth or fifth, whichever one it is, as long as it's different, highlight their top bun before they get to their evidence. And if it's not there, she's not great, right? But we're learning, it's fine. That top bun matters. How you integrate that evidence speaks to your sophistication and your ability to manage that evidence as a writer. And once you've looked at the top bun, the context in the introductory phrase, the introduction to that evidence, the evidence itself, and the citation, if they didn't cite it, they just really, it's not proficient at all, right? But all of those things go into that rubric role for evidence, and I'll give them a score for that. any of those things it's a two or one well like if they didn't get the thesis on point can you still give them high scores like yes I love this question so keep in mind on my rubrics I can't I don't know how your reader is gonna feel for your essay when they're actually grading it but on my rubrics I try desperately not to double ding you anywhere right so if you did poorly um, with the punctuation around your MLA formatting, I'll either choose that that's a conventions issue or an MLA issue. I won't ding you in both, right? So with that idea in mind, if their thesis sucked, but their evidence is good if for some random claim that maybe they didn't communicate well, still give them points for evidence. I don't want any double dinging because I really want them to be able to zero in on what skill they're missing. And if you double ding, it's going to be hard for them to know what they're good at and what they need to improve. Does that make sense? So just be sure you're not double dinging, but be really communicative. Write on the rubric and write within the text, like, here's why this is a two, here's why this is a three. That'll be really helpful. Yeah. Help me know what the question is. Um, I don't know if sources are used correctly. Okay. If it's just like a different way. Um. This, it's fine. It's great. They did a good job. But I'm concerned about this. I just licked your highlighter. I can give you a new one. I didn't realize it until after. Um, this second person use is concerning to me. We'll talk about that later though. Okay. <laughs> um, so are we there yet? Are we giving them an, or an evidence? Why are you smirking? 
you just smirk so seldom that when you do, I think something has happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. I gotta know, guys. Stop baiting me. Okay, so here's a so now we get into the sep second part of this quote sandwich, right? Which is the commentary. And again, in order of best of most importance, you have that thesis, selecting good evidence and integrating it well. But the big fat mama, the most important, the reason we're at this dinner, right, is this whole bottom bun. Yes? This is where you get them points or lose them points. This is, this is where, this is them. Okay? So here's where it gets funky and weird. And I'm not saying that they had to do this, but just for the sake of teaching you how this moves. I'm going to have you watch a video about it in a sec. I'm a really snooty Englishy lady that I don't really like, but the information's good, so we keep it. But here's the thing. I should just make my own video, right? I mean, okay, focus, Linnea. Okay, so after your evidence, right, you need to tell the reader that you're moving from the evidence into your analysis of said evidence, right? So I like to see a transitional phrase that's not plebeian and sad. Like, this quote means that. I don't love it, but essentially I'm looking for something like that that's more elevated, right? So you could, you could say, you know, here's your piece of evidence, here's your citation, and then you could say, essentially, comma, this evidence states that, right? You're just basically telling the reader, I'm moving from the evidence into me talking about why the evidence matters. So this bottom bun is sometimes called the elaboration, sometimes called the commentary, sometimes called the examination, right? It's all the same thing. It just means now that you have your evidence, tell me why I give a crap about it, right? And the, I like to say that you need at least five to six sentences to explain evidence well. And you should never, ever attempt to explain two pieces of evidence in the same commentary. You should always give a piece of evidence, totally do it justice, completely finish examining that piece of evidence, then move on to another piece of evidence. Never should you try to straddle two at once. It's not a thing right? So one piece of evidence, fully commentate. Second piece of evidence, fully justify. So do a full complete sandwich for each piece of evidence, no exceptions. Some of you did try to like shovel a couple in at once. It, it didn't work well for you. Okay, so here's the thing. In these five to six sentences of commentary, I want you to try to do th three things. And here's where it gets weird because some of you, I can even, I can just imagine reading your writing, I can imagine what you were thinking. And you were like, she told me that I need six sentences here. I have no idea how to create those six sentences. It's gonna be bad, so my plan is to say what it means and then rephrase what it means two more times. <laughs> and I can see that's what you're doing. I can see, you're like, I know I need stuff here. I'm gonna shove stuff in and hope nobody notices that it's the same idea regurgitated several times, right? That's not what we're looking for. So I'm giving you, some, giving you some scaffolding on what these five sentences to six sentences need to look like, okay? So here's the first thing you need to do. There's a, <laughs> you gotta tell me what that quote means, okay? Now, you might make the mistake of thinking I said, tell me what that quote said. I didn't say what it said. Don't restate what it means, because I actually, this reader that my friend that's a reader, she came here and met with me yesterday and she's like, if they tell me what a quote means one more time and assume that I cannot read, right? That's not what we're looking for. I'm not looking for you to restate what the quote actually said. I'm saying, what does the quote mean? This shows that Rochester, blah, 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 right? So tell me what the quote means, not what it said, what it means. Then 
tell me why that quote supports your topic sentence of just that paragraph. We're going to go small, medium, large, working from the inside out. Yes? So smallest idea, what does it mean, right? And then second idea, how does it support that paragraph topic, right? And then tell me how it supports the big fat mama thesis, the one that you either did or didn't do at the very beginning. So you're doing three things with each piece of commentary. What does it mean? How does it connect to the paragraph? How does it connect to the thesis? So take a look and so in your fifth or sixth, wherever you're at, highlight their commentary. If you're seeing any fewer than three sentences there, I don't care what they said. They're not, nobody in here is a good enough writer to cover these three things in two sentences. No one. None. Or at least not well. So already, that's a problem. And I'm going to help you by showing you one more important thing. Oh, that's laughable. Okay. Boom. Yes. Okay. Boo 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 boo. Okay. Now give them a grade for the commentary. Wait, actually, don't give them a grade yet. I want to do this thing. So, this analogy or this object lesson, I guess I should say is like famous in the world of like essay writing teachers. So if you've heard it before, don't stop me because I'm gonna say it anyway. But I need wherever you're at to stop and I need you to look up. So this is called the umbrella analogy. And whenever I say umbrella analogy from today forward, you're gonna know what I mean, right? And this analogy is meant to help you not skip analysis steps, okay? It's important for you to not offend the reader's sensibilities by trying to pretend they can't read but you also have to walk this fine line of not assuming anything else about them, like that they can make connections and stuff, right? So this famous CJ, I want you to hear this, it's important. So this little analogy matters. So here's where you look outside, just like this morning, you look outside, you see that it's raining, so you take an umbrella, right? You look outside, you see that it's raining, so you take an umbrella. And that's what you guys are doing in your essays. You're connecting a dot that makes perfect sense to you in your mind. But imagine that your reader is an alien, alien, they say alien, anyway, is an alien that has no idea about the concepts within our culture when it comes to rain, right? So if you're trying to explain to an alien, I see rain, therefore I shall take an umbrella, we have missed like 80 steps in between the rain and the umbrella, right? So what you need to tell your alien friend is, I see rain, I see rain, and if I walk outside without my head being covered, it's gonna get wet. And then if I walk around all day with wet hair, I could possibly get sick. And if I get sick, I could get a debilitating illness that will cause me to not be able to function for a, you know, an, a, an unknown amount of time. And if I'm not able to function for that unknown amount of time, I miss the window to find love, to have children, right? And then I will be old, childless, barren, looking back on my life and realizing that I have just wasted this incredibly beautiful opportunity that is life, right? And I will then, I will then die alone and sad and no one will mourn me, right? Which is why I should take an umbrella, right? 
So all of that stuff in between, you already know, and that's a given. You don't want to get sick. You're going to take an umbrella, right? Even though it's, no, I'm not going to say that. So here's the thing. When you're talking to your friend, you can say rain, umbrella, nothing in between, right? All of the extra stuff is not there. But when you're writing an essay, all of this stuff is the points, right? So you have to pretend that your reader is a smart alien to whom you have to explain that the fact that he pulled somebody out of a building, you can't then just jump to him being redeemable because he pulled someone out of a building. You have to say, he pulled someone out of a building, which shows that he values other people's well-being over his own, which he didn't used to do, but he does now. So it shows that he has changed his sensibilities, and that shows that his willingness to change makes him umbrella, right? So it's important that you know, I know that you deeply disagree. So I know, I'm just giving you an example. But I need for you to never ever skip the rain to the umbrella. So a lot of this commentary, if I'm seeing two sentences, I think in my mind, umbrella, right? Because you didn't tell me what happened between the rain and the umbrella. And you must, you must explain it and you must do it in an elevated way. So now with that in mind, did they skip any analytical steps? Did they skip connecting any dots? Did they assume that the reader needed to make assumptions that the reader might not make, right? If you're an alien, why would rain equal umbrella? You tell me, right? So in their commentary, give them a grade on that rubric for commentary. <coughs> and be clear about why you gave them that grade, because that grade is where the money is in terms of your points. And then remember I told you that there are two definitions, there's two parts to the definition of line of reasoning, and right now we're only focusing on the first one. That's all. There's a second definition to it, but it's a higher level thinking situation that we need to just ease, ease into. Oh no, am I going to throw up? I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? If I do, whatever. It's casual. Um, <laughs> I don't know, it just like, you know the thing where you, yeah, nope, okay. So line of reasoning, the first definition, the first part of that definition is, did every single thing that they wrote pertain in some way to supporting that overall thesis? And the, the weirdest thing, again, with this lady who was looking at our HL essays from last year, she was like, I can tell when students didn't listen to you. And on the HL essay, it's hard because I only look at your essay one time and you either decide to take my advice or not. But this poor reader was like, I can tell that this girl wanted to keep this idea and you told her not to do it and she wanted to keep it and she did it anyway and she didn't pass because of it, right? So just because an idea is cool, just because you know more about that podcast episode, just because you want to say something because you think it would be interesting, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't directly pertain to your purpose, which was to support your thesis, then it doesn't belong, even if it's cool, even if you like it, even if you think it's genius. If it doesn't directly pertain, it's a line of reasoning problem, right? It should all only serve the thesis always. So with that in mind, line of reasoning, that's just the first part of line of reasoning. Just make sure they didn't deviate from supporting their thesis. And if their thesis isn't clear, it's easy to deviate from because it wasn't clarified in the first place, right? So again, that's a hard part time. It's hard to not double D.
So give them a grade for line of reasoning. And then I want you to think about elevated formal writing style. And in my experience, IB students think elevated formal writing style, my teacher's looking for big words. Yeah. Right? That is a really, really, really unfortunate interpretation of what elevated writing style is. Because big words are only 30% of that pie. Big words are great. But I just had a kid on the HLSA get a full seven that's like a unicorn, a full seven on their HLSA, and didn't use any big words. I, I don't know if she wouldn't. Be. Do you guys remember Macy Hollis? Yeah. She wouldn't mind me telling you, I'm pretty sure. So anyway, uh, she, she didn't use any like ridiculous, like you definitely sat next to a thesaurus big words, right? But her analysis was gorgeous and her register, that's the fancy word that we talk about, register. It means that your tone and your voice and your style in writing matches the assignment. So we're looking for increased high levels of formality. And what that looks like is no first or second person pronouns. So when we say us or our society, when you're commenting on society, an essay like this, essay like this is hard. You have to be sure that you're not saying that you're a part of the society. Right? No second person, no us, we, our, right? And then for sure, no, I think, my opinion is, me, my, I, none of that. It's all third person. One should, right? Yes? What person is we? Like, is that second? We person? is second. I mean, it's not technically second, but it's the best way to explain it to a child. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh. I, I'm not saying, oh, that sounded so bad. I mean, like, to a teenager. That's what I mean. Huh. You know what I mean? It's second person is much more, I'm so sorry. Second person is much more complex than me just saying that you're referring to the reader and yourself together. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I just mean that that second, <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> second person pronouns, it's just the easiest way to explain it quickly. No me, no we, no us, right? No you. So no first or second person. If you see it anywhere, it's a no-no. And it's super hard to avoid. The next thing, if you see anywhere, is a contraction. No contractions. Say goodbye to them. For some reason, you love them. They don't add to your writing in any way, shape, or form. And they, make, they, they deformalize your writing. A contraction is when two words. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am. Come on. <laughs> Throw me a bone. It's not what I meant. You get it. I, you, you get it. No contractions. And then when we're talking about formality, just keep in mind that you are writing to an educated professor type person who's also an alien and also a toddler, I think I've said before. So a really smart, stupid person who you have to connect all the dots for, but also expects high elevated levels of writing. So another part of that elevated formal writing style is syntax. And I know Verve concentrated a lot on this, but using not so many simple sentences, but interspersing your simple sentences with compound sentences, compound complex sentences. I know she talked to you a little bit about that. We like literally won't mention it at all this year because we don't have time. But just varying your sentence structure that's a good way to say it. So give them a grade for formal elevated writing style. And then conventions, that's where we have spelling, grammar, punctuation. Did they say something possessively but not put the possessive apostrophe? Did they misspell stuff? Did they have sentence fragments? And readability, if you had to stop and struggle to decipher even one word, 
in this essay, their readability is a 2 or a 1. Right? And then don't even grade the sophistication point. We're not even talking about her yet. Because she's a real problem, that sophistication point. Some people call her a unicorn. I think she's more like a demon. <laughs> but whatever. We'll talk about it later. So what I want you to do after you've graded this whole thing and you have justification in place for the grades that you've given your friend, remember, keep in mind that your friend is going to go home hopefully tonight, but we'll probably wait until the last minute tomorrow night. Um, they're going to revise this thing and make it beautiful so my eyes are not offended. Yes? When I read it. So keep in mind that you need to communicate with them the ways in which they triumphed and the ways, the things that they need to do to improve this before they revise it and make it a piece of work that they're proud of submitting once and for all, right? Because after this, we're not really talking about lore again until the end of the year, unless you choose it for your HLSA, which is lovely. Um, so with that in mind, I'm gonna need you as a human being with a mouth and a face, right? To go to the person whose paper you have, well, not yet, I need you to look into their face, their, their face, right? Their eyes being the window to the soul, yes? I need you to look into their face, and I need you to tell them the things they did well and the things that they will need to do tonight, but probably tomorrow, tonight, to fix that essay and make it gorgeous and beautiful and something that they're proud of. But in the revision, it's going to be their learning process. So you're going to instigate their learning process by helping them know what they're going to fix. So you have to say that to their actual face and communicate with them like a human would communicate with another human. Yes? You can do that now. Go right ahead. Yeah.